So we're currently in a series where we're looking at uh, some miracles that Jesus performed. So we're in the New Testament, and we're looking at some of these miracles, and they, they come about in the form of story. And so uh, it's, a, it's a fun, engaging way for us to, to, to catch up with and, and remember the different ways that Jesus uh, performed his ministry. And so that's where we're at today. We're looking at a story that's a story about healing. It's a story about God's power, and it's a story about God's desire for our lives. And when you think of, you know, it's really, a, it's a story of friends. It's a story of helping and of meeting a need. And when you think of the last time you helped someone, what, what comes to mind? And when you think of the last time that someone helped you, what comes to mind? And lastly, as you think about a, a need or something that you needed help with or currently need help with, what, what comes to mind as you think about, you know, where, where does this come to, to rest in, in, on your life in this season? Last week, I was reminded of the, of the easy thing, the things that our lives that we often take for granted, the things that people can help us with, and uh, I needed a haircut, and I am no stranger to cutting my own hair, and I have a trimmer at home, and I usually keep it pretty short and cut my hair myself, and, but I wanted to do something a little different this time. I thought I would try to keep the sides a little shorter and keep the top a little longer, which in the haircut world is called a fade, and that was the beginning of a terrible decision. And so I began to, uh, I watched a couple YouTube videos, because you can learn how to do anything on YouTube. You, you watch a YouTube video, and it's like, oh, that, that can't be that hard. I mean, they make it look so easy. And uh, so I, I start cutting my own hair, and I, I get done, and I got it, it looks great. You know, and I'm kind of feeling around, and there's no, nothing I can feel that feels, you know, out of place. And so, you know, I cleaned up and went to bed, and this was a Saturday night. We'd been on vacation the week before. And, uh, and so our family was, we, I was off for the weekend, so we were going to come to church on Sunday morning together. And, uh, and so I wake up on Sunday morning, and I'm getting ready, and I just, just by a stroke of luck, happened to grab a mirror that's sitting on the, on the sink in our bathroom, and I, you know, do one of these and kind of look in the mirror, and what is looking back at me in the mirror looks like a squirrel with mange. And if you don't know what that is, you can Google it, and it, I just warn you, it is, it's not pretty. And it just was like uneven and chunky, and there were pieces of hair missing, and, you know, I mean, it literally looked like I was a victim of some, like, overnight prank, you know, like I was the first one to fall asleep or something, and, you know, like, it, it was just, it was, it was bad. To make matters worse, we had about 20 minutes before we needed to head out the door to, to come to church together, and, uh, and so... Most weekends, I'm already here, and then Jill and the kids come, and so I had a moment of, of recognizing this is what it's like to get out the door with a whole family. Most mornings, I just have to get myself out the door, and then poor Jill has to worry about all of that. And so I'm trying to get myself ready, and I've got this terrible haircut. I don't, I'm, I'm going to have to wear a hat. I, we may not even be able to go. I'm going to have to sit in the back. I call Jill in, and I see in the look in her eye, her eyes get big, and she, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh, it does look as bad as it looks to me, and you know, and she can't help me fix it. And so I managed somehow to, to make it, you know, blend in a little bit better and got it to look not quite so terrible. And, uh, and I, I recognized that I had bitten off more than I could chew. And I recognized that there are really good reasons for why you would have someone else cut your hair. Someone came up to me last night after our service and she said, you know, uh, people who cut hair for a living know are smart enough to to know that they need someone else to cut their hair and i was like wow that's that's a good point you know and uh and so you know there's oftentimes when we when we take for granted some of the things that 
that, uh, that, we, need, that we need help with. And the story that we're looking at today um, is a story that has both nothing and everything to do with my little do-it-yourself haircut fiasco. Similar is, was my obliviousness to a much bigger problem. On the front, looked great. But, you know, where I couldn't see, there was something that was, that was desperately and terribly, terribly wrong. Um, unlike a bad haircut, the, the physical ailment that, we're, that we get to see this morning in, in our story is, is, is obviously much more significant than a bad haircut. The difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut is about a week. And so at this point, I'm, I'm all good. It looks, looks fine. But um, the, the young man that we read about today has a much more serious ailment than something that just passes with, with time. And we see the suffering that he uh, experiences, and we, uh, we, we, we recognize that in our own lives we have ailments and, and things in our lives and in, in the lives of loved ones that are physical and, and, and tangible and cause us great suffering. And we all have different types of needs. Uh, for most of us, these need, the needs that come to mind most quickly are, are those physical, uh, tangible needs that are related to family and home and work or our, our own physical bodies. Sometimes they're related to, to our finances or our marriage. And one such need that we all have in common is the need for significance in life and the need for meaningful relationships. Our most critical need is reconciliation with our Creator. Relationship with our Creator. Our most critical need is to be reconciled to the God who created us. In this coming ministry year, we were about to take another big step in how we invite and and recruit and equip and 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 work together as a, both within these walls and outside of these walls. We're, we're going to work at uh, at equipping families both in our church and in our community to experience significance and meaning in their lives. Ultimately, we want to be a people that connect people. We want to be a people in a place that connect people to the God who created them, and we will do this in in a, in a multiple different ways and with lots of effort that all focuses on what, we can, what we're going to do together. We will do this together as a church. And, and that's the most compo- important component to how we are going to do this. Uh, you'll see this in how we invite you to serve here at Five Oaks. You'll see this in how we recruit and train and develop our volunteer teams. You'll see it in the ministries and the events that are at the heart of our mission here at Five Oaks. This weekend you have a serve brochure in front of you, an opportunity to, to reflect and, and think about where is God calling you to step into to serving here at Five Oaks. And, and the, the idea of serving is as much about you as it is about Five Oaks. Because we believe that we, we can't take steps to, to be more like Jesus without serving in some capacity. And so we want to help you to take a step in your likeness with Christ, and, and, and we also want to encourage you to not diminish or devalue the importance of, of your service here at Five Oaks to, to other people and families uh, that are here. This fall, uh, or actually this coming week, 
we're going to do a, a, a volunteer kickoff for our Five Oaks kids and Five Oaks students volunteers. It's here on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. We're going to have dinner together. We're going to cast vision. We're going to pray. We're going to plan. Uh, we're going to get everybody ready and equipped for, for the next ministry season here. And this fall, we're, we're going to put greater emphasis on our Fall Fun Fest. And we're creating a, a pre-Christmas family event called the Jingle Jam. And both of these events will, are designed to, to create opportunity for us to engage the people in our lives in something that is significant. And something that will draw them not only to meaningful relationships around them, but to the meaningful relationship that we believe we all need with God. After Christmas in January, we're going to launch a new series of classes for parents called The Parenting Journey. And it will, it will be for parents everywhere on the spectrum of, from, from kids who are, are babies to kids who are graduating from high school. And we're going to launch that in January to equip parents to, to journey with their kids more significantly at every stage. In February, we're putting together a date night for couples. Our family and discipleship staff team, and along with our men's and women's ministry, are working together uh, and to, to put this event together to help you nurture your marriage. It's one event and one way that we want to help you to take a step to have a meaningful relationship with your spouse. So there's a lot coming this year, and it's all in the name of connecting God, or connecting with God and others in meaningful relationship so that we can thrive spiritually. God has a lot to say about our connection and our spiritual health. And we'll see that today as we look at the story that we're about to read. Uh, it's in the second book, uh, second chapter, rather, of Mark. So you can turn to your, in your Bibles to, to Mark chapter 2. And if you want to use one of the Bibles in front of you in the seat, it's on page 1002. And we are reading from the NIV translation. And as you turn there, let me give you, we're going to be in the, in the first, uh, first verse of chapter 2. But as you turn there, I'll give you a couple quick thoughts on Mark. I love this book. And I love it because Mark is a storyteller. And so he uses these, these great words uh, to, to really help us feel like we're, we're in the action. That we, we're, we understand just the emotion of the, of, the, of the environment that he's in and the story. And he just, just does a great job of, 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 of helping us to, to step in to the story. And this passage in particular is quite possibly one of my most favorite passages in all of scripture. And, and you'll see why, but it has to do with, it has to do with friendship, it has to do with faith, and it has to do with forgiveness. And so we'll pick up here in the first verse of Mark, and it says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they cannot get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Okay, so let's stop right here and we'll look at what this would have looked like. So this is what a typical house in this uh, part of the world during this time would have looked like. Uh, and so you can see, not just because the picture is small, but because it's just not a, it's not a large home. And so if there was, you know, a couple hundred people trying to, to, to gather uh, to hear and see Jesus, it would not take very long for there to not be enough room for everyone. You can see that there's an external staircase, and that was probably what they, you know, would have used to get to the top of the roof. There would have been access to get up there. You think mowing your lawn is hard. You know, this guy's up on top. I don't think he's actually mowing, mowing the grass on, up there, but... Um, but that's typically what it, there would have been kind of this courtyard for livestock, 
but, and then the indoor you know, area uh, would, would have been the living court. And so Jesus is inside and he's, he's teaching. And these four friends uh, are trying to get their friend, their, their fifth friend, uh, who's paralyzed in front of Jesus. They're committed and determined to get, him, to get him in front of Jesus. The other thing I want to point out, that I, I think you know, the, the scripture uh, talks about these guys, as it calls them men. I would say they are probably most likely young men, or it's like they're, I would think they're teenagers or students, because there's no way that an adult is about to do what these guys did. You know, they, an adult would never dig through someone's roof because we'd be too concerned about what that would do to our own roof, and we'd be on the phone with the insurance company claiming that this is an act of God, you know, if you know what I mean. And, and you know, so I think these are teenagers. And this is what I love about teenagers. They are passionate, they are committed, and, and they, are, they can be destructive. And, and destructive in this sense in the best of ways because of, they, because of their passion and their friendship with their friend. And uh, so the first thing that leads to the healing that we all need is friendship. This is about friendship. They have such meaningful, a meaningful relationship with their friend that they literally tear off a roof to help him. And this is the other reason that I, I believe these are probably teenagers. That to teenagers, to our students, their friendships are of some of the most important things in their, in their lives. And I think there's something we can actually learn from our students with regard to how, how committed they are to their friendships. Meaningful relationships lead to intense friendship. We all need people in our lives who would be willing to tear off a roof for us. And we need people in our lives for whom we're willing to tear off a roof for them. This is what it looks like to share one another's burdens together. They don't just share their friend's burden by spending time with him. They don't just share their burden, his burden one-on-one. They take it upon themselves to share it as a small group. As a small group of friends, they are committed to not only including and being with their friend, but in stopping at nothing to get him the help that, that he needs. And if we stop and think about this, this roof thing metaphorically, the roof really represents all the stuff in our lives that are, that's in the way of getting us to a place where we need to be healed. It's all the stuff in our lives that's in the way of getting us to the place we need to be to be healed. And we need people in our lives who help us dig through that stuff. And that's why at Five Oaks we have such a strong commitment to small group. We believe we're not supposed to do life alone. We're not supposed to do faith alone. It's best done and intended to be done in a small group and in a large group. And as I, I think about this, this small group of friends, what comes to mind is I, I think about the leaders that we have that serve in Five Oaks kids and Five Oaks students. And they show up and they get cried on and they get pooped on and that's just in our middle school ministry. Now, middle schoolers, I'm just kidding. That's, that's really actually not funny, is it? No, it's not. It's not fair. That doesn't happen there. I'm just making sure you were awake because you're still, that you're still with us. But, but seriously, our Five Oaks kids, volunteers, they show up ahead of the service. They meet as a huddle and they, they prepare for what they're going to do during the service that they're serving. And then they pray. And as the kids start coming down the hallway, they smile and they high five and they love unconditionally. And for most of our kids, 
that hour of time that they spend down there might be the only time of their week where they have unconditional love showered upon them by an adult or by another adult. Now you might say, well, John, our, our house is, I mean, we're not perfect, but we, we, we do the unconditional love thing. And that's probably true. I would say the same thing about our family, but I'll tell you a little story that kind of was sobering to me this week. We were, we were riding in, a, in the car, and, and Eden, our six-year-old, starts coming up with, uh, she, creates this, she created kind of an award ceremony in the car. So she decides she's going to announce who's the best at different things. So she starts announcing who's the best at swimming, who's the best at riding horses, who's the best at Who's the best at, uh, at sports? Who's the best? She's just going on and on and on. And as the list goes on, everybody but me has been named. And, and I think it's because I'm so great that I defy classification into one category. You know, I mean, how do you pick, you know, one thing? And so she pauses and in her, her just beautiful heart of wanting to include everyone, combined with her fierce honesty that can just cut like a knife, she says, she says, I know. Who's the best at making serious faces? Dad is the best at making serious faces. So apparently I need to spend some more time looking in the mirror at my serious face to, uh, to maybe use it a little less often. But, but part of that is that that's just life, that there's a busyness and, intent, and an intensity to, to life with kids, to life after kids, to life before kids. There's just a ton going on. And so when we think about a place and a time and, a, and an environment that we need to be frequently to call each other back to the, to the love that God intends for us to receive from him and from each other, that's, that's, that's the church. We need adults in our kids' lives. We need other people in our lives to call us back and to represent this mosaic of what God's love looks like. Our student ministry leaders are no different. They, they log hour after hour after hour spending time with our students here and they chase them all over the place at their sporting events and where they work and, and, and at their band concerts and choir concerts because they are earning the right to be heard. They are earning the opportunity to journey with them. And they're earning the opportunity to journey with them through probably one of the most difficult seasons that most of us face in our young adult lives. A season in which we really don't know who we are yet, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people around us that think they know who we should be, and most of those people are, are adults, and some of them are our parents, some of them are our teachers, some of them are coaches, some of them are youth group leaders and pastors, and they're trying to figure out who they are. And we get to step alongside of them and help them look at who God made them to be and figure that out for themselves and come to that truth on their terms and on God's terms. And it's beautiful. And as parents, oh my gosh, this is, this is what we, we desperately need for our kids, for other adults to come alongside of them, to communicate the love that God has for them in a way that we can't. We communicate a certain part of that, but it takes another voice, oftentimes multiple voices, to, to properly communicate what God's love looks like. That's what this whole we can do more together thing is all about. We're meant to do this together. So let's go back uh, to the text for a second. We'll see the power of this togetherness in this next verse. We're back in, in verse five and, and it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, 
Son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus is so moved by their bold and courageous faith that he moves to heal before there's any type of confession or anything like that. He sees their faith. In verse 6, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The second thing that leads to the healing that we all need is faith. And what the fir- this passage here teaches us is that there's, there's something, there's a communal aspect to our faith that we can't disregard. Jesus is moved by their communal faith. And the faith that we see on display here is not just the faith of, of the paralyzed man. It doesn't say Jesus saw his faith. Jesus saw their faith. There's more going on than just what's happening with with the person with the perceived greatest need. It's a communal faith of a small group of friends. And these friends truly believe that Jesus could restore their friend. And we can learn from these friends as it relates to our own family members, our own friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. When we consider the lengths that we would be willing to go to to remove the obstacles in between them and and receiving the restoration and reconciliation that God offers. Think about for a second, for a moment, what it would look like for the people in our lives to be healed spiritually and emotionally, mentally, theologically, and even financially when they discover their place in God's story. It's something that we get excited about and and passionate about as we sit and, and think about it but it's something that, that quickly encounters other obstacles when we leave these walls. And so part of the challenge that this, that this story is putting out to us is to say, what does this look like in our everyday, everyday lives? One of the obstacles that we face is, is the very culture that is our American culture. We live in a very, and have a very individualistic culture, a culture that's driven by an individualism that causes us to think first of ourselves, and then maybe of the people around us. And if you want to see the ripple effect of that, just, just look, look, at, look at the world around us. This is a symptom of how our faith is, is formed by the culture that's around us, or impacted by, sometimes negatively impacted by the culture that's around us. And where this rears its head a bit in our, in our walk with, with Christ is that sometimes our first and only step spiritually is I just need to make sure that I'm good. If I get myself good with God, then, then that's, that's the point. And that's what everybody else needs to do. You know, just get yourself good. With, you know, there, we lack this, this communal sense of what our faith is intended to be. A couple weeks ago, a number of us from uh, Five Oaks here jumped on a bus and took a tour of Minneapolis, which might sound weird to you to tour a city that is right here. 
but uh, we took this bus tour, not as a scenic tour, but as an opportunity to, to see the different global populations that have come right here to Minneapolis. You've heard us talk about this a couple of times, that, that Minneapolis is, is home to a neighborhood in which more than 100 different languages are spoken. It's the most diverse neighborhood in the entire country. It's also home to the largest Somalian population outside of Somalia in the world. And it's home to the largest Hmong population in the world outside of, outside of their native country. And so we had an opportunity to, to go and experience that. We experienced what's happening right here in, in, our, in our communities, in the, in the East Metro here, and how really what's happening is that the city, Minneapolis and St. Paul, are becoming less diverse, and the suburbs are becoming more diverse, which I would, not, I would not have guessed. But we experience different parts of the city, different people, different restaurants, um, different food. I enjoyed a camel burger for lunch at the Midtown Market, and it was delicious. I highly recommend it. I don't know where the camel farms are, but it was really good. It was really good. Um, but but beyond food and kind of just a tour to kind of, you know, see something different, we had an opportunity to engage with people that don't look like us. We stopped at a Somali mall, a mall that is full of merchants that are all Somalian. And, and we stopped at a cafe, and this woman had owned her cafe for, um, for a few months. And prior to that, she immigrated to the United States in 1995 and has been a medical interpreter at the Hennepin County Medical Center uh, since then. And what was most uh, incredible and life-changing for me is that it was inspiring to see what I would call a more accurate depiction of an immigrant than what we see in our media today. And it was just, it was a life-changing experience. And, and so in the United States, we think most naturally of ourselves, but we are one of the only cultures in the world that thinks like that. Many of the other cultures in the world, and we experienced this on the bus tour, are much more communal on how they go about life and how they go about family and, and, their, and their faith. And this communal nature of our faith that Jesus holds out to us just shows us that we are at odds. That there's kind of this communal versus individual uh, piece of how we approach our faith and, our, and, and approach our world, and they're at odds with each other. As a communal nature of what this looks like in, our, in, in, in Christianity is baptism. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated the baptism of, of, of our fellow uh, five ochres, so to speak, and, and had an opportunity to partake in the step that they were taking in their faith. And that's one of the things that, that we love and celebrate about baptism is its communal nature that it's about a togetherness. It's not just about an isolated decision that one person makes. It's about the community of God. And we know that we are not meant to follow God alone or to do this life alone. We know that, that we are meant to follow God together as a part of a community. And so in this story, when Jesus is, we can imagine how this goes as he moves to, to look, see this person in front of him. You know, the friends probably hear Jesus talking and then something happens but their friend doesn't stand up right away and they probably looked at each other and thought, what did he say? Did he just say something about sin? No, Jesus, not, not the sin. Legs, the legs, Jesus, that's what we're here for. You know, you can imagine that there's this moment of, of confusion and maybe some frustration that this is not what we came for. 
But Jesus knows what he's doing, obviously, and he, he first offers forgiveness. The third thing that we all desperately need is forgiveness. Jesus shows us that forgiveness is greater than healing. And what's interesting about this is that the normal pattern for, for healing or for miracles in the Bible, it was typically used to prove that the messenger who was bringing a story or a, not a story, but a, a truth to, to God's people, it was used to prove that, he, that they were indeed acting in the authority of God. And so normally when this happened, it was a messenger who came with the truth and a miracle was performed and that was kind of the way that people then, okay, okay, this is a credible person. This is not a false teacher. It's not a false prophet, not a poser. This is, this is the real deal. This is God at work here. And the message that Jesus is proclaiming is not just that he can heal suffering, but that he is the only one who can rescue a fallen humanity that is separated from God. And so it makes sense that beyond Jesus uh, being moved by these friends and their pressing needs, Jesus' most pressing news is to communicate to the world, to the people around him, that he can save people from their sins. Most of the people that were gathered there were there because they, they knew that Jesus was healing the sick. And they were there to, to, try, to, get, to try to be healed. And Jesus is, is communicating that I am offering so much more than that. And so Jesus addresses the most critical need, but he also has deep compassion for the physical suffering that we experience in this life. And Jesus healed the paralyzed man in order to show his authority and power over both human suffering and our sinfulness. The other interesting dynamic here is that, that there's two types of sin that are at play here uh, in this story. And not one greater than the other, just two different expressions of sin. The first is, is the same sin that we all have that would, be, would have been present in the man who's paralyzed and in all of his friends. That this, this desire to be our own gods, to go our own way, to want to do our own thing and to reject in disobedience the way that God is calling us to live. The second is that this man's physical ailment, his, par- his paralysis, is a symptom of, of our broken creation, of our broken bodies, of our, of our broken world. This brokenness that came into the world when Adam and Eve first disobeyed God. We know that when that happened, everything changed. Not just our personal relationship with God and with each other, but our very bodies are not what they were intended to be. And so we are more susceptible to disease and suffering and things that God never intended for us to experience. And so we see that Jesus has authority over both. He has authority to reconcile us to himself because of our own personal deeds and disobedience. And he has the power to make what is broken in our world right. Jesus relieved both temporal and eternal suffering in this, in this, in this story. And there is some mystery around the whys and the, the when and the how that, that God today offers physical healing. But we ought not use physical healing as a, as a proof or as the thing that we use to determine whether or not God's power is real. We can have hope that regardless of our physical circumstances, that Jesus is working upon our behalf to reconcile us to the God who created us. And so as we move to our time of response, I invite you this week 
to, to reread this story and, and look at which character do you most closely identify with? Are you paralyzed somewhere physically, emotionally, or spiritually? Are you the helping friend or a worshiping participant? Or perhaps you're the doubting onlooker? Wherever you find yourself, there is, there is truth for what a next step looks like for you in this passage, that Jesus sees your deep need. He's most concerned, first and foremost, with reconciliation to himself. But he cares for and feels the weight of your physical circumstances. He's not afraid of your doubts, and he is ready to empower you to, to go and reach the world in your midst. Wherever you are on your journey, I invite you during this next time of response to take time to experience God, to respond to God. This is why we do this next portion of our service. It's an opportunity for you to experience, experience God, and there's different ways that we have for you to do that. You can come and receive communion, and there's no order to that. You just get up when you're ready. You don't have to wait for your row, or you can go before or after your row, whenever you want to go. Come down and receive communion. Just dip a piece of bread in the juice and, and take it here and, and then and, and spend some time with God. You can light a candle for someone in your life that is paralyzed in some sort of way. You can pray in the back and you can spend a few moments uh, reflecting on, on, on what this means for you in your life. How crazy would it have been if the man on the mat refused to get up after Jesus healed him physically? Just as crazy and just as ridiculous would it be for us to not take a moment to receive both again and for some of you maybe for the first time the gift that he extends to us in reconciliation to himself, the opportunity to find our place in his story and in his family. So if you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to receive communion with us. If you are not a follower of Christ and you have big questions or deep questions or maybe today you are, you're coming uh, to a relationship with Christ for the first time, we invite you to join us in receiving communion. And I would also say that we want to journey with you. We want to help you take steps in your spiritual journey. And we have a couple of great pathways to help you do that. So catch me after the service or, or write that on your communication card and we'll follow up with you and, and journey with you. So let's enter into our time of response with a word of prayer.